Pastor Xavier Reese and the High Calling of the Shepherd on today's Simple Truths. If God puts you as an elder, as a shepherd, it is a call of God and we do it willingly, not by constraint, not because someone forced me to, not because someone talked me into it, but because God has called me and I responded to that. Therefore, I do it willingly. When I cease to respond willingly, I have ceased to be a loving shepherd. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's been said that a great leader never sets himself above his followers, except in carrying responsibilities. And when it comes to God's call for shepherds to his flock, the church, Pastor Xavier says God holds a reward for those that lead willingly, lovingly, and as an example of devoted servanthood. Let's join in presenting today's Simple Truth Study titled, Feed and Love God's Flock, drawn from the book of 1 Peter. Peter addresses the elders at the church that he is writing to. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The reasons and motives for which individuals are involved in ministry are not always because of love, sincerity, or commitment to God. But in fact, many of the motives and reasons why people get involved in ministry is to seek to be seen, to receive applause from men, and to exercise power and authority over people. Jesus told the disciples one day as the mother of the sons of Zebedee came and sought petition that her sons might sit on the right hand and the left hand at his throne, for she thought he was going into Jerusalem to establish the kingdom. Jesus told her that he could not give that position to them. He turned to his disciples and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it should not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Here is the principle for the Christian. In the world you have a pyramid. You start at the bottom where a lot of people are the same. And you start climbing towards the top. And you get to a place at the top where there's only room for one. And then you have to fight to stay there. The Christian life is an upside down triangle. You begin as top dog and you move out to serve everybody on an equal basis. It's an upside down kingdom. Now when Jesus told his disciples this in Matthew chapter 20. He proceeded to give himself as that model and example. For he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Such is Peter's exhortation to the elders here in verse 1 through 4 regarding their faithful stewardship. Make sure you understand the context. The context of suffering and serving for God's glory in view of the eminent return of Christ. From chapter 4, verse 7 to 19, that is the backdrop. Serving God's people, suffering for God's glory, serving unto the glory of God. And the context is Christ's eminent return. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Chapter 4, verse 17 says, For the time has come, for judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, whenever you serve, you're going to suffer. Mark that well. If you're going to serve God, and if you're going to serve God's people, you're going to suffer. Service and suffering go hand in hand. Because when you make yourself available to God, you open yourself up to a lot of hurts. That's just the way it is. Elders and shepherds, as well as those who open themselves to be used of God, serve out of suffering. As a shepherd, I experience suffering by seeing people's lives destroyed. They add to their own hurt. It's almost like a policeman. You know, policemen get hard because they, they see the ugliness of life continuously. That's all they see. And they have a lot of difficulties with their marriages. With trusting people and everything else. Well, a shepherd is much like that. You know, you guys see me in my best up here on Sunday. But you guys don't see everything of the ministry. I see you all the time. I see you at your best. I see you at your worst. I know some of your lives, the things that you're going through. And I as a shepherd experience suffering as I serve God and serve you because I see the hurt in your lives. I see the problems and I pray with you. I talk with you. I cry with you. I laugh with you. Some of you add to your own hurt. It breaks my heart. There's a very real aspect of suffering for a shepherd. Because as a shepherd I know that there's so much greater capacities in you. When you add to your own hurt. As a shepherd, I also suffer by the gossip, the slander, the tales, and all the rumors that go on. Because people will always misunderstand the shepherd at one time or another. But that's just the way it is. <laughs> so a shepherd experiences suffering in that way as he serves. But he has to trust God. Look at the prophets. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. A shepherd suffers as he serves also by the constant spiritual attack upon his life. Because Satan knows that if he can destroy a shepherd, he can get to a lot of people. And so there is a constant attack upon the shepherd of God to disqualify him. Because he has such an influence and he's up front sharing with the people. Not that the shepherd should be the Messiah, never. Your eyes are to be upon Jesus. But Satan knows that if he can get one shepherd, he can get a lot of sheep. And so there's suffering in that aspect as I see shepherds fall. I see shepherds get caught up in adultery, in money, in fame, or whatever it may be. And they become a stumbling stone to God's people. 
Now Peter is speaking to these elders by way of exhortation. The first thing he does is he gives to them his commonness or his common oneness with them. We find that in verse 1. There seems to be an effectiveness when we can identify with one another. We're more open to receive. A policeman can receive from a policeman much easier than from anybody else. And if we can establish some common ground, then we're more open to receive that exhortation or counsel. So Peter begins to establish this. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partake of the glory, will be revealed. First, their position in the body of Christ, elders. The word is presbyteros. We get our word presbytery from it. It means the group of older men. The word means older men, ancient. It's usually identified with age and maturity, experience, wisdom. Though we know that's not exclusively because... Timothy was an elder, and he was a young man. But per se, it runs towards that. It really identifies the person in the position that they're holding in the church of God. Here, Peter reminds them of their privilege. It's a privilege to be an elder. It's a privilege to be called by God to some function in the church. And sometimes, as I look to the body of Christ, people live as if it's a big burden to serve God, to serve the body. God anointed elders to help Moses in Numbers 11. He took 70 men, put the spirit that was on Moses on them to help oversee. Elders were to make judgment and decisions at the city gates. Read through the Old Testament. They would call judgment. They would meet at the gate. They would deal with situations of life. In the Greek culture, elders handled the public affairs and the community interests. Elders are found in the synagogues read the Gospels. The Sanhedrin had elders as you read the book of Acts. Paul ordained elders in his first missionary journey. He came back and he ordained elders in every church. Why? Because elders are the older men who are experienced, who have the wisdom. They oversee the flock of God so that the body of Christ is not ravaged and taken advantage by people. The qualifications for elders are given to us in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. And so he says, you guys are elders. But then he comes alongside and shows his common oneness with them. He says, I am a fellow elder. Notice here Peter reminds them that he is like them. Which really is a great characteristic of humility. Peter didn't say, I'm the Pope. Bow to me. Peter did not say, I'm one of the twelve. Peter didn't say, by the way, I'm one of the three who were up in the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw the Lord transfigured. I saw Moses. I saw Elijah. He didn't say, I'm the only one that walked on water. <laughs> he said, a fellow elder. Interesting. Now, when we can identify in that commonness, we're more open to each other. Because we're not here to lay heavy trips on each other, or to rule over one another, or to exalt ourselves over one another. Then Peter says, 
and gives their personal testimony of the suffering of Christ. Here's another common oneness. Their personal testimony of the sufferings of Christ. Peter says that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. For three and a half years, Peter saw the sufferings of Christ by the way he was rejected, by the way he was scorned, by the way he was mocked, by the way he was insulted, by the way he was plotted after to be entrapped. There was suffering there. And so for three and a half years, Peter witnessed the suffering of Christ in his flesh. The word witness means a martyr. It means one who lays his life down for what he believes. But the word in its foremost means one who gives an account of what he has seen. And then later on it was identified with giving your life because the Christians gave their life for what they were giving witness to what they had seen. Christ crucified and resurrected. And so Peter not only saw the sufferings of Christ during his life, but he saw him as he was taken to Caiaphas' house, to the Sanhedrin, to Pilate. He saw him scourged. He saw him bleeding, tormented. He saw him perhaps even going up to the cross. We don't know. He saw the nail prints in his hand, the scar on his side. He was a witness of his sufferings. The elders, how were they witnesses of the sufferings of Christ? Well, some of them, I'm sure, were as old as Peter. Maybe some of them sat under the teaching in one of the sermon, like the Sermon on the Mount. And they also witnessed the mockery of Christ. Maybe some of them were present when Christ was paraded up to Golgotha. But certainly all of them had read the Old Testament. And being born again, the Spirit of God made the sufferings of Christ alive. And they gave witness in their heart and gave witness verbally to those around them. And so once again, there's that common oneness between Peter and these elders. But he gives a third aspect of oneness. They're partaking of the glory to be revealed. Peter said that he would partake of this glory. Being saved, he would partake of the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you three things on how he would do that. First, his body would be changed. Whether it be by death or by God's coming, his body would be changed and would be just like him. Secondly, Jesus promised to him in Matthew 19, 28, that when he would set up the kingdom, Peter would sit on one of the twelve thrones of Israel. He would partake of his glory. Thirdly, the New Testament says that he would be a king and a priest. The elders, they equally partake. Their bodies would be changed just as Peter, whether it be by death or by the Lord's returning for them. They would equally take a place in judgment because 2 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3 says, Know you not that you will judge angels? Of course, the bad angels, not the good angels. And certainly, they are also said to be kings and priests. These are just three ways that we will partake of the glory of Christ when He returns. As a policeman has common oneness with other fellow officers and he's more open to receive from them and be exhorted, so Peter has come alongside to do that with wisdom and knowledge. Knowing that these men are going through persecution, 
knowing that these men have need of exhortation. Now Peter is talking to you also as well. You may not be an elder, you may not be a deacon, but you're a Christian. And Peter will say to you, to the Christians who are among you, I exhort, I who am also a fellow Christian. You see, you can identify with Peter there. So the exhortation is to you also. There's a common oneness. You have need of exhortation. Some of you have need of exhortation this morning. Of compromising. You need to stop it. Some of you need to be exhorted to be obedient to what God has called you to do. Some of you need to be exhorted to get off the pew and start working for God as He has called you to do. Some of you need to be exhorted to be a loving husband and loving wife. Loving parents. A faithful steward. Putting the kingdom first, not things. We all need exhortation this morning at one area or another. Each of us have witnessed the sufferings of Christ through the scriptures made alive by the Holy Spirit. As we read the word of God, the Holy Spirit makes it real in my life. I never saw Christ on the cross. I never saw the nail prints in His hands. But as I read the scriptures and I read them prayerfully, God pierces my heart. I was reading Jeremiah this week and just listening to God pouring His heart out to His people. And yet the people were so rejecting. They became callous. And God's heart broke and He tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't pray for these people anymore. If you pray, I won't listen to you. Interesting. The Spirit of God makes His Word alive. And you know what? I have witnessed the suffering of Christ. And I continue to witness the sufferings of Christ because I see it through the suffering of His people. Through the mockery, through the taunting, through the ridicule, whatever it may be. Each of us will partake of the glory to be revealed because we are saved by grace through faith. Your body, my body will be changed instantly. And our bodies will be just like His. <laughs> it's going to be a nifty little body. We'll be able to zip all over the universe anytime we want. Be here, be there. Be able to go through walls. That'll be convenient. Be able to do all kinds of things that you can't do right now. I will judge angels. I will rule and reign with Christ. I will be His bride for all eternity. And wherever He is, I'll be with Him for all eternity. What glory. And so Peter comes alongside and gives his common oneness with them. But secondly, his counsel to them is found in verse 2 and 3. Take note that it is by way of exhortation. First, the counsel regarding their call in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So first the counsel regarding their call. They were called to shepherd the flock of God. The word shepherd means to tend for, to feed, to care for. 
It's not just limited to feeding, but to caring, to have your heart in it, to be accountable, responsible. The very same word was used by Jesus when he confronted Peter after he recommissioned him in John 21. And he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And in one of those aspects, he used this word, he says, Ten my sheep. Referring to the feeding of the word and caring for the flock. So they were called the shepherd, the flock of God, these elders. But secondly, they were called to serve as overseers. The word overseer, we get our word bishop from it. The word elder and bishop are used interchangeably in the scriptures. As we said, the word elder speaks of the, of the person, usually an older person, and the position they hold within the church. While the word bishop or overseer identifies the function, they oversee, they superintend, they supervise the body of Christ as a protective agency or force, if you will. But notice he gives some negatives and some positives. First, not by constraint, but willingly. Interesting. Why does Peter have to say this? Because it's a call of God. If God puts you as an elder, as a shepherd, and a pastor teacher is an elder, but not all elders are pastor teachers. <laughs> it is a call of God, and we do it willingly, not by constraint, not because someone forced me to, not because someone talked me into it, not because I'm being pressured by a group of people, but because God has called me and I responded to that. I responded lovingly, therefore I do it willingly. Now, when I cease to respond willingly, I have ceased to be a loving shepherd. When it becomes a duty, then I will not be doing God a service nor you. Secondly, he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Money is an awesome thing. Money is not moral or immoral. It's amoral. It's what we do to money and what it does to us. And so Peter recognizes that not every shepherd is going to have a sincere attitude of heart. And so he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not because the money is favorable or attractive, but because I am excited and recognize the privilege that I have in serving God and His people. Whenever I stop being eager to come behind this pulpit on Sunday morning or Sunday night or on or midweek, then it's time for me to leave the pulpit. When I do it simply because I'm getting a salary or because I'm getting money or because the money is good or whatever it is, then I am in trouble and so are you. Jesus spoke about the hirelings. There's a vast difference between a hireling and a shepherd. If you're a shepherd of God and if God opens the door for you to go minister, you go. You don't go because they're going to pay you. And you don't go because you set an amount to be paid. I'd rather you say, I'm a professional. This is my fee. But don't tell me you're a minister. Don't tell me you're a shepherd. That's an insult to the scriptures. It's unbiblical. So he gives the counsel regarding their call. Only a burdened heart can lead to fruitful service. 
Pastor Xavier Reese passing on Peter's counsel to shepherds of God's flock, an exhortation that would serve well all saints in service to the Great Shepherd. Now today's study is simply titled, Feed and Love God's Flock, and as always we can provide a copy upon request. By the way, there's much more to this study that our limited time on the air just doesn't allow us to present, but we're happy to include on CD for just $4 to help cover the costs. Now that title to ask for once again is Feed and Love God's Flock. Request yours today by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. More Simple Truths for the Shepherd of the Flock of God next time when Pastor Xavier Reese wraps up our series in First Peter. Hope you'll join us for that. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 